There, do you have any idea what you're listening to? London Philharmonic? It's Venus. Huh? Venus. Why not? We've bounced signals off the moon's surface. There's no reason that Venus shouldn't radiate impulses. I don't mean the static. Can't you hear it, the other thing? What other thing? Listen to it, Paul. Listen to the voice. Hello and welcome to Media Geek. This is your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media as well as a critical examination of our media environment. My name is Paul Reismanell and gosh darn it, I'm your host. And today's program, they're talking about giving more power to digital radio. And uh, the FCC slapped a popular pirate radio station in San Francisco. Oh, it's the radio and communications news you're not going to get anywhere else because our guest tonight is my pal, John Anderson of DIYmedia.net. You're going to want to stay tuned. John, uh, thank you for joining me. You are the man behind DIYmedia.net, um, which has been keeping track of the world of spectrum policy, uh, unlicensed radio and broadcasting, and certain issues, especially digital radio, that really no one else is keeping such a keen eye on. And you're currently in the midst of dissertating for a PhD in communications at the Institute of Communications Research, University of Illinois, exploring digital radio and HD radio. Yeah, I actually have a a dissertation title now. It's uh, called Radio's Digital Dilemma, Broadcasting in the 21st Century. You know, everything has to have a colon, so... That's right. Got that all in there, and uh, that's basically what my dissertation is going to be all about. Basically, it's going to be an indictment. Uh, The first ever comprehensive critical indictment of HD radio as a technology, but also exploring whether radio itself needs to or should digitize, because uh, there's actually a lot of other protocols that are being adopted around the world that deal with digital radio that are not the one we're using in the United States, and all of them are failing. And failing in terms of nobody's really listening all that much. Nobody's really listening, nobody's buying the receivers, and uh, some like state broadcasters are turning their networks off. Uh, Germany is turning off its digital radio network at the end of this year. Um, Things like that are happening, and it brings up this larger question of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, so why are we trying to digitize radio just because all other media are going digital? And... If so, what are we losing in the process? And in the U.S. context, in the context that in the United States, we're losing a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to lose a lot more now that the uh, FCC is poised to increase the power of digital radio sidebands. Well, let's talk about this. So the way that uh, digital radio works in the U.S., it's a, it's a system called in-band on-channel, abbreviated as IBOC. And, and, and what that means is that, in fact, the digital signal is sandwiched in with or beside the uh, the traditional analog signal, which is different than digital television, where uh, the new digital channels were put onto a whole new spectrum space and the analog transmission was turned off. So we really right. have a hybrid system right now where our analog radios continue to work and those who buy HD radios uh, can receive the, the so-called HD signal. And the way that it was allowed to work was that the digital sideband, I, I kind of call them saddlebags, 
um, were never allowed to broadcast at the same equivalent power as the analog signal. They sat on the side of your analog channel, uh, but they were broadcast at one one hundredth the power of the analog signal. So if you had a 10,000-watt station, uh, you could broadcast with 100 watts of digital power, right? Uh, same thing on the AM side. Uh, you could broadcast with uh, one one-hundredth of your analog power. Um, and the problem was, and continues to be, that whenever you put new RF energy into spectrum, which has otherwise not been used in the past for this purpose, you're bound to cause interference. And the problems with digital radio sidebands cropped up on the AM side really early. Uh, AM has a special tendency to propagate far at night, and so digital radio sidebands were propagating far at night. And there were cases of, like, a broadcast conglomerate, I think it was Cumulus or Citadel, uh, they had a station in the northeast, 50,000-watt station, that was interfering with their station in the southeast. You know, a station up in uh, Pittsburgh was interfering with the station in Georgia. And now uh, there hasn't been that same type of problem endemic to the FM band. But as we found out with digital television, the promises, specifically the, pro the promise of penetration, uh, simply aren't there. You cannot pick up a digital radio signal inside. The signal's not strong enough to actually penetrate the walls of your home or office. And so, in order to remedy that problem, Ibiquity, the proprietor of HD Radio, and National Public Radio, who's been the primary innovator with HD Radio, uh, just today, November 5th, uh, jointly filed... Uh, a proposal with the FCC to effectively almost double uh, the power of digital sidebands. And um, that is going to effectively double uh, the increase. Well, it's actually a tenfold raise, uh, excuse me, 10 dB raise. Uh, they want to increase the, the sideband power by 10 times. And that will essentially increase the interference potential between stations that are equipped with HD uh, signals 10 times. And the FCC has taken a very laissez-faire approach to all of this. Uh, they do not want to have anything to do, really, with mitigating interference complaints between stations that go digital, even though the evidence is there. And NPR just finished a monumental 18-month study on this. There's a, a leaked memorandum that I got from uh, the executive director of NPR Labs, the group that's been behind HD Radio Research for NPR. And it basically says... Without the development of additional functionalities, widespread unregulated interference is likely to occur. So, so they're basically what, admitting. What does that mean? Say yeah. that in the filing with the FCC. It, it, it means that unless we figure out a way to put three bags full of spectrum into one bag, which HD radio by design is not ready to do, Without the expedite, I'm quoting here from, from this leaked memorandum, without the expedited development of additional solutions, <laughs> unregulated harmful interference could occur. What, does, what are those additional solutions? I don't know. Okay, Nobody so they're basically knows. saying is the system probably doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It has been proven not to work. And if we increase the power level of the system, it will make its non-workability even more apparent. However... We have to do this because if we don't, uh, there's really no... This is, to me, Paul, HD Radio's last technical gasp. Mm -hmm. This is the last thing they can do to try to get 
the signals to propagate better to entice more listenership. After that, they have two options. One is to just throw this out in the trash and start the digital radio rulemaking all over with additional, with, you know, different technologies, or go for broke and transition the entire nation to an ubiquity-owned all-digital system, which is in the, in the works. Hmm. Um, but it's never been tested. Well, excuse me, it's been tested once on a station in Ohio. Um, and that was only the FM side of, mm-hmm. of, the, of the all-digital thing. So, I mean, this is a mess, and um, the FCC is likely to approve this mess, and, and that is a shame, because it's, once again, we're regulating by politics and not by empirical, empirical evidence. If it wasn't for NPR and its... Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? The, the the cloak of impartiality that it brings to the policy debate as a constituent, this thing would have no hope of flying. Um, and 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 NPR is into it because they're they're using the extra channel space essentially. That the digital they developed the process called multicasting. Okay, an application that allows for HD two and HD three channels was was something NPR made from scratch. When HD radio first came out, it didn't have that capability. NPR looked at it and went, well, this is a dog. I mean, it doesn't do anything except digitize our existing signal. Can we make an application for it? And they came up with multicasting. So yeah, NPR um, is the primary innovator. They've been the primary innovator in the ubiquity space, in the HD radio space. Um, And they were initially not in favor of this specific digital technology. They were in favor of a different one. So were electronics manufacturers, actually. And early on, so was the NAB. Um, but then this you know, technology got foisted upon us right around the turn of the century. And NPR looked at the political waters and said, can we take on the entire broadcast industry, which is basically funding the development of HD radio? And they said, no. So they became a reluctant supporter of mm-hmm. HD radio. And found and that, a way in which they could make the most of it because in, in many ways there's a lot of uh, public radio stations that wish they had more spectrum space, more channels to take advantage of uh, so that they can do news talk and do music, you know, and do classical and do jazz and do in an increasingly uh, alternative rock music. Yeah, but it's a question of, you know, uh, programming. I mean, mm-hmm. Where do you get that kind of stuff from? One of the things that NPR has been very good at doing is lining up syndication deals. For example, if you listen to uh, an HD 2 or 3 side channel called Chill that uh, NPR offers, it's actually produced by a webcaster, Hmm. Soma FM, Mm -hmm. um, uh, produces a special feed for NPR's HD side channel. So effectively what's going to happen is the FCC is going to allow all HD equipped stations to raise their power by four times. That's their compromise number, 6 dB, four times. And they are going to set a ceiling of 10 dB, mm-hmm. 10 times. Uh, so everyone gets the almost half, and then the FCC, and then broadcasters will, by their own you know, uh, decisions, apply for an additional power increase up to 10 times the current amount. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there's language like <laughs> this document that I, uh, Ibiquity and NPR filed today actually tells the FCC what to write. It says, here's the language that you should use uh, when you're going to talk about uh, regulating interference complaints. They're actually trying to bring the FCC into 
the interference debate. Um, but if anyone, ha- you know, I'm not a scientist, okay? I'm a communications scholar. But even I, and I'm a radio geek, and, and so that gives me some semblance of how radio works and how RF3 works. But even if someone like me can see that this is a mess, and simply raising the power levels will cause even more of a mess, then what are we supposed to do about it? There really is nothing short of possibly a court challenge Mm -hmm. um, to the FCC's rules on HD radio that is going to stop the regulatory development trajectory that it's currently on. But there's very little will out there. Uh, I mean, one place where normally you'd think that would come from would actually be NPR, one of the few organizations with enough clout and and possible resource to, to call upon. But otherwise, you know, the folks who are getting squeezed the most are smaller broadcasters. What's left of them, be they independent, what few independent broadcasters are out there, uh, college well, radio stations, not commercial stations. Also uh, today, the Prometheus Radio Project and Media Access Project uh, had an ex parte meeting, um, a meeting with uh, one of the staff members of Michael Copps' office. And they essentially brought up concerns that um, you really have to watch out for what these signals are going to do to LPFM stations. Low power FM, yes. Um, because when this occurs, pretty much every single full power station will be broadcasting a digital sideband that will be more than 100 watts. Um, which makes it more powerful than the top analog level of a low-power FM station. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could have significant consequences. Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, and it's, it's these same broadcasters which have been yelling interference all along, right, right. Uh, about the expansion of low-power FM. Exactly. Um, somebody once said uh, that even though there are good issues out there that can be fought, especially in the courts, it's very hard to make donors understand which ones are important. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can understand the importance of low-power FM. Uh, it's very hard to get them to understand the importance of the digitalization of radio because it's been conducted incrementally and under the table. Unless you've had the opportunity to read one trade newspaper <laughs> and you know where to look for stuff, you wouldn't know this was coming. You know, mm-hmm. um, And it is. So we've got some comments coming in on the Twitter feed. Uh, we got a comment coming in from Mitchie Chan, uh, who says, The problem is these big radio outlets can barely put out enough content for their primary channels. What makes you think they can program all these additional channels? Digital radio works in other nations because there are different programmers on each of the multiplexes. This is three t- tweets long, obviously. This type of arrangement has never been done in the USA, so it will not work here. And, and that is uh, Mitchie Irie from REC Networks. Cool. Um, saying there, but uh, you've mentioned that uh, you know in other nations they may have had the programming, but they haven't had the uptake in the receiver market. I know that the, the BBC put quite a bit of resource into their uh, DAB, as it's known, uh, broadcast digital radio, which which sits on a different set of spectrum, so it requires different radios, and and it doesn't seem to have been all that popular either. Although they've they they've been I guess they've been actively reconsidering it, but they haven't uh, ditched it altogether. Is that correct? Well, yeah, uh, the UK is, it's, it's, all the different countries in Europe are approaching the adoption of digital broadcasting in different ways. They're not all taking like a EU-style centrist stance on this. Uh, the UK did something where they, to entice broadcasters to apply to multiplexes, they would essentially extend their licenses in the analog domain to get them to get on here. And they also, in some cases, uh, uh, auctioned off channels 
on the multiplexes, but they also, at the same time, included reserve space for the BBC and other community radio-type programming. Um, but the problem is that receiver uptake just hasn't been there at all. Um, the BBC, or not the BBC, but the Ofcom, uh, which is the UK's government regulator, has said that they want to go all digital with their uh, radio by 2015. They and Panama are the only two nations in the world who've actually set a digital radio turnoff date. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's going to happen. And you are listening to Media Geek, your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, as well as a critical examination of our media environment. It is media freedom and our right to communicate. My name is Paul Rees, and I'm your host, Eric Yarnell. It's at the controls. He is producing tonight. And my guest tonight is John Anderson. He of DIYmedia.net. He is the one watching HD radio for the rest of us. Breaking it out of the the industry news and breaking it down so we can understand uh, how good it's not going to be. Check out Media Geek online at MediaGeek.net. The radio show is at Radio.MediaGeek.net. And the Twitter feed, Twitter.com slash MediaGeek. We do take your tweets here on the air. If you want to respond in a live sort of way, Twitter.com slash MediaGeek. Of course, we can do it the old-fashioned way, which is what we call email. Paul at MediaGeek.net. Well, one of the other things I want to talk about is uh, is the pirate radio scene. It's something which you have been covering uh, since the 1990s. Yeah. Um, probably the, the person who's been covering it the longest and the most consistently anywhere um, in terms of the U.S. micro-broadcast scene and uh, logging statistics at your website, DIYmedia.net, as well as uh, news and stories that come up. And uh, there was a recent, uh, we might call it high-profile it wasn't a bust. It was a letter mm-hmm. uh, to Pirate Cat Radio. And I didn't even hear about it until you just told me about it uh, right before the show here. Pirate Cat Radio, which is a uh, a very above ground, um, uh, very, uh, I don't know what, what what else we want to say. I mean, popular, I guess. High profile. High profile, high profile. Uh, station uh, operating out of the Mission District in San Francisco. The only pirate radio station to ever be featured on the Food Network. That's right, because they have their own cafe where apparently they make bacon lattes. Right. Vegan bacon lattes. Vegan bacon lattes, except for the bacon. So it's like soy milk plus oh, no, bacon. I thought, I thought you said that the bacon was vegan, too. No, it's not vegan bacon. That doesn't happen. Now, they use real bacon, but apparently the rest is vegan. It's a vegan cafe otherwise. But so I guess you, you just told me they just received a letter from the uh, FCC, who uh, apparently are on to them as, as being an unlicensed broadcaster. Yeah, August 31st. Um, what's his name? Daniel K. Roberts, I think is uh, the man, Monkey Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan- Daniel K. Roberts, uh, a.k.a. Monkey Man, a.k.a. Monkey, uh, got a letter in the mail saying that unless he can uh, – Convince the FCC otherwise, he's going to be fined ten thousand dollars. It's called a notice of apparent liability. It's basically the interim step between being warned and being fined. Um, the FCC will eventually follow up with an official forfeiture letter, at which point uh, Monkey will owe ten thousand dollars. But at this point, he's just hovering under the sort of Damocles. Uh, what the FCC basically says is, uh, "We know you've been around for a long time. Uh, I think I have." instances of database contact, you know, in my database contact with the FCC back to like 2006. Hmm. Um, 
and now it's time to stop uh, messing around. Uh, we monitored your signal twice in April, and uh, we know who you are, and so uh, you need to stop. And uh, so if you, you know, unless you can tell us otherwise or convince us why we shouldn't, you you are going to owe us $10,000 after we send you another letter. And uh, uh, Monkey immediately went up on, well, I guess not immediately, but just, within the past couple of weeks, actually, went up on this website and said, uh-oh, we've been fined $10,000, we're shutting down, uh, we're only running a internet radio stream at this point, and uh, please help us raise money to pay the impending fine. Um, he's not the only person who's been dying this year. I just found a couple other people, one in Florida, the other one I can't remember where, uh, that both got $10,000 NALs. Nobody's actually, well, one person, has been formally fined this year for ten thousand uh, dollars. Three other people have been given warnings, like Monkey. Uh, and then there's been a, your regular spate of of visits and follow up letters. Mm-hmm. Um, those have been happening with uh, some pretty serious frequency, especially in October. I haven't mm-hmm. got all the way through those statistics yet, but yeah. So Monkey, it was interesting because Pirate Radio, Pirate Cat Radio, um, was operating under a very explicit legal defense mm-hmm. as its rationale for being on the air. Uh, there's a statute in the Code of Federal Regulations which says that in times of war or national emergency, you don't need to apply for a license from the FCC to put a radio station on the air. All you have to do is, well, you have to send them a letter telling them, this is who you are, this is where the station's going to be at, this is the equipment I'm using, and this is my rationale for doing so. Um, no station that has ever invoked this War Powers Act, um, I think with the exception of Free Radio San Diego, have actually preemptively warned the FCC in such a way. So Monkey and his station really don't have any legal legs to stand on. Yeah, that's something we've discussed before on the show. Uh, yep. We've discussed it on our websites. We disc- I've discussed it on my other website, radiosurvivor.com. Uh, Matthew Lassar, my fellow radio watcher there, uh, joins you and me in being critical of trying to hide underneath this fairly uh, thin veneer uh, for what is otherwise essentially civil disobedience. Right. right. And it was a good run. I mean, you know, and I hope that in, you know, um, Boulder Free Radio is another, it could be an example for Pirate Cat Radio. The primary motivator behind Boulder Free Radio was eventually found out, and instead of, you know, taking the fight all the way, bowed mm. out gracefully, right. and passed the equipment on to new people mm. who have subsequently taken the name and put the station back on the well, I mean, Maybe the same thing will happen with Pirate Cat. Th- I mean, the thing is, if you're going to run an unlicensed station... And you're going to keep it in the same location. And especially if you're going to run it above ground, you are going to be found. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. It's right. more of, uh, it has more to do with when the FCC's Enforcement Bureau has the time and energy to deal with you or, uh, you know, or they are made to deal with you because uh, a, a licensed broadcaster uh, makes enough of a stink uh, that that you you have to move it to the front of the queue. It's it's not it's not an if it's a when, right? Um, and and I think that in doing so, that's why you know your your raison debt is so important. So you do have stations like a Freak Radio Santa Cruz, which which has been running largely above ground now for over a decade. 
um, down in Santa Cruz, California, and and they pretty much, I mean, they make very explicit that they are that they are in a civil disobedience mode. That that is their raison d'etre. They believe in freedom of the airwaves. They believe that uh, the licensing of radio has not been fair and equitable, and that has been further eroded by uh, by consolidation in the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Pirate Cat kind of well, the station, um, you know for good or ill, was actually providing some sort of alternative to... Well, absolutely. To yeah, I mean, I mean, so and I don't so mean to say the that they didn't have a raison d'etre no. in, terms of, in terms of being a service, I mean, in terms I mean, of like, being broadcast. I mean, a right, raison d'etre for being unlicensed. Yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, they were, uh, they got a, a resolution of support from the San Francisco yeah, absolutely. City Council for what they've done. Um, they were the only station in the area to play Al Jazeera. Um, but yeah, I mean... Uh, I think that it's almost like uh, the length of your station is inversely proportional to the amount of publicity you get, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and uh, Monkey was very open about what he was not doing. Not at all camera shy. Uh, indeed, was on was on the uh, Food, not Food Network, but it's the Travel Channel program, No Reservation, with celebrity chef uh, Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, um, I'm not surprised that this happened. No. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it it always just seemed kind of an apolitical gesture, and mm-hmm. that we just don't like what's happening with the airwaves. We think we can do some good, so why don't we do some good? And I don't have any problem with that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, mm-hmm. you know, simply by educating yourself, sure. the ability to put a radio station on the air and then flipping the switch, you have gone past the point of being explicitly political because mm-hmm. you know, at the point that you flip the switch. You know enough about radio to know that you're breaking the law. Yeah. And so simply by doing that, you're making it a political act. And maybe for them that was good enough, as well as being very entertaining, you know, yeah. and high profile and informative and things like that. And and, um, and I think and, and the one function being maybe having brought to many more people's attention that how difficult it is to have a new community service minded radio station hit the airwaves especially in a large metroplex like san francisco where the dial is mostly overcrowded and dominated by the likes of clear channel intercom and citadel on the other end of the spectrum um in ohio um the fcc busted the Menorah Park Center for the Aging in Beechwood. Hmm. Um, Where's Beechwood? Beechwood, Ohio. I don't know. I'll pull it up on Google Maps. Um, on August 4th, 2009, agents from the Farmington Hills, Michigan office confirmed by direction finding techniques that radio signals on frequency 90.7 megahertz were emanating from the nursing home. <laughs> The commission's records show that no license was issued for operation of a broadcast station there. You should cease immediately. Um, was there a lot of Lawrence Welk coming out? <laughs> they don't mention the programming. They don't say who, who complained. I'm thinking, what a wonderful way to keep seniors active. You know, <laughs> uh, they, learn, they, they learn dexterity by building kits. Uh, they they keep their minds active by, by being on the air and programming. I mean, what a great little club to have in your nursing home, mm-hmm. you know? You're spending your, your twilight years, you, you're, you're stuck in this place, and you have this little radio station. But you have no yeah. more information as to whether they were intending to broadcast or, or anything? Well, no, it just says they were broadcasting a radio station out of this, uh, out of this thing. Do you think uh, maybe they were... And that it was above Part 15 levels by a significant amount. 
Do you think maybe they, they were they were trying to you know because have like uh, a transmitter like you do in uh, in like in gyms you know where they'll have uh, you oh, can. Oh no, this is way more powerful than that. <laughs> uh, their signal was measured at three hundred and twenty five thousand five hundred ninety one microvolts per meter. That's a heck of a lot more than than part fifteen. That is true. Yeah, at, but it's at a, a pretty far a long distance, but it still exceeds the mm-hmm. it still exceeds the two hundred fifty at three rule. It's uh. Yeah, so I think they were just doing, uh, you know, senior citizens radio. And maybe it was Lawrence Welk, maybe it was talk shows, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it was Gripes of the Day, the lunch <laughs> menu, uh, who's winning at backgammon. I would think that would be awesome. I would think that people would, would think that would be a, a good use. Yeah. And I could, I mean, who could be more benign pirates than old people living in a nursing home? Come on now. John, thank you so much for joining me yet again. Thank you for allowing me to rant for an hour. It felt great. <laughs> DIYmedia.net is your website where we can learn uh, what is going on with HD radio and with unlicensed radio and other things that you study. DIYradio.net. Thanks again, John. Thank you. And that brings to a close another edition of Media Geek. We'll be back in one more week with more news and views on our media environment. In the meantime, check out Media Geek online at mediageek.net. The radio shows at radio.mediageek.net. The Twitter feed, twitter.com slash mediageek. You can uh, join in the conversation about what goes on here on the show and in our media environment. If you have any comments about, about the program, please send them to me, paul at mediageek.net. Thanks for tuning in. 